Welcome to Unlocked, the HR podcast that dares to put people first. Today's world of recruitment and job search is changing towards a digital first. Apps and websites allow job seekers to find vacancies and to apply as easy as online ordering a pizza. Artificial intelligence mines and presents candidate profiles to the recruiter, handed over before breakfast. And hiring candidate and recruiters are to start their interaction using the technology at their fingertips. But how do we ensure a true match? A match that empowers success. How do we support candidates finding the right organization? How do we see company and candidate needs fulfilled? How do organizations bring the right new colleagues on board? In this Talent Sprint podcast, we want to explore the needs of today's talent and recruiters from a human perspective. What inspires and motivates them? What are their career and recruiting challenges? And how do they envision the importance of a human dialogue in creating the right match? My name is Jeroen Frumeau, co-founder of the Talent Sprint and passionate about unlocking people's potential so that they can experience success. Welcome to Unlocked, the HR podcast that dares to put people first. In our first episode, we welcome Radina Nadjalkova, Originally from Bulgaria, having lived in the USA and Singapore, she now calls Ireland her second home. She is trained as an organizational psychologist. She is a certified career consultant and, besides coaching and advising a wide variety of organizations, she now also trains and coaches individual leaders, entrepreneurs on a more inclusive approach to talent acquisition. During our conversation, we touched on topics like the challenges in recruitment, the need for change to engage with younger generations, and her vision for a more human-centered approach to HR. We hope you enjoy this episode. And don't forget to listen to the end of this podcast, where we will share with you how to pursue your career search and attracting new talent differently. Welcome to uh, Unlocked, uh, Radina. Um, this is our podcast where we really want to put uh, people first and do things different in their recruitment. So that's what we would like to discuss. Uh, thank you for uh, being the first one uh, in our uh, uh, show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Really pleasure. Cool, cool. Before we start, um, you studied psychology, you traveled around the world um, and you take a large blend of recruitment and uh, let's say HR related roles in your portfolio at the moment. If you have to introduce yourself to any new people person in your network, who are you? Who's Radina? That's always a, a tricky one, you know, uh, because it, you're so right. I've done so many different things that it's it's incredibly challenging to put myself in one or even two boxes. So what I usually say, I'm, I'm a psychologist. And why is that important? Because it's human first. And then what I say is that I've dedicated the last 12 years of my career into 
developing myself into the recruitment, talent acquisition, um, human resources field. And I pivoted after 12 years, well, 10 years, I pivoted into being a, an entrepreneur, a trainer and a lecturer. So I rediscovered the power of my voice and I do want to introduce people to my know-how. Um, so I see myself mostly right now as a virtual trainer and lecturer. You're originally from, I think, Bulgaria, if I'm, if I'm correct. But yes. where are you located now? Because you traveled the world. So I'm just curious to say, um, let's say, what cultural mix have you in your luggage and where have you uh, landed uh, these days? I always knew that I'm going to live abroad. That's for sure. And uh, first I went to the States. Um, then I moved back to Bulgaria. I lived for a bit in Ireland. Then I uh, switched to a, a warmer, nicer place called Singapore. But ultimately, um, I put my anchor in Dublin, where I'm currently based. I've been here for the last eight years. This is why people can't understand where my accent is coming from, because apparently I picked up a bit of Irishness in me as well. But <laughs> this is home. This is definitely home. OK. And what makes Ireland so wonderful? Well, it's definitely not the weather. If if that's the first thing you think about Ireland, yeah, that's probably not it. But it's so green. And one thing that I, I always bring with me everywhere is that people are incredibly nice. They are very positive. They are um, quite welcoming and, and warm, which is definitely not the way I would describe Bulgarians. <laughs> so for me, that was probably the biggest win uh, to be here when someone bumped. So you bump into someone in, in the public transport and they say to you, I'm sorry, this is absolutely a whole different level. Um, I love how how genuinely nice people are here. This is what I love the most. Um, obviously, it's very green. The nature is incredible. It's a lot quieter than many other cities that I've been. As I mentioned, I lived in, in Singapore, which is pretty um, um, vibrant and very dynamic city. So I do like the, the peace and quiet. I do like the culture. I do like the people. Um, there are probably a few things that I don't like, but they are uh, definitely not um, as important as the others. So now you're working as a, tra a remote trainer. If, if you look back at what you do now, what you trained yourself in and what you do now and say, and you have to say, well, what motivated you to take this course? So let's say, I mean, this journey from uh, studying psychology, entering in the HR field, but now let's say there where you are as that remote entrepreneur, uh, trainer, speaker, consultant. And that's an amazing question because I do try to reflect occasionally here and there, especially towards the end of the year, me and probably millions of other people um, to just figure out how I got where I am. And I'm not the kind of person that plans everything ahead of the time and is, is ambitious, puts ambitious goals and pursues them at any cost. I've always been driven by the desire to be myself, to be true to my values, to really find a level of happiness, productivity and satisfaction that is worth my time and commitment. Um, so I think this was absolutely logical journey. I knew even from the beginning of my career, I knew that one day I'm going to work for myself. I'm not, I just don't fit into the traditional corporate boundaries. And I know that there are people that are successful in that. But for me, it was always about humans first, be true to yourself, 
do the things that make you happy and learn to say no to things that don't make you happy. So yes, my, I might have been privileged. Um, I've always done things myself. So I haven't the support, the financial support of my parents, only the emotional and, and um, you know, the, the kind of positive environment around me, but I'm only child. So I guess that kind of contributed to a mindset where I felt, oh, well, I'm amazing. I can do that. So let's just jump in. Um, so being brave is also one thing that I feel pushed me to take this course of action. Let's go a little bit to the world that we both are active in. So um, we, with the Talent Sprint, we're trying to help organizations to, uh, let's say, find the right people, uh, the right professionals that engage uh, on different levels with an organization. That can be, uh, of course, the skills and the capabilities, but it can also be the motivation to create change or to drive change, or you're very engaged with a brand, the different reasons why people engage with, uh, with companies. In your consultancy practice or in the way you have supported uh, organizations, um, what do you see as today's real challenges for professionals to find the right job, to find the right next destination in their working life? Yeah, and if you ask me which is the biggest one, I probably wouldn't be able to, to say because we live in a very turbulent times. And let's say if, if last year the biggest challenge was around retention, employee engagement, uh, and probably that has been a team for the last good few years. So how do we retain our top talent? How do we engage them? How do we make sure that people are motivated? Now in 2020, it was brought to a whole different level. Um, diversity, equity and inclusion has never been more of a priority to the business uh, than now in these times. So this is one big piece. How? Okay, we want diversity, but the problem is that actually a lot of the managers, they don't realize what diversity means. Diversity is not male-female ratio. And that's one thing that as a consultant, I'm trying to um, teach or educate better said uh, managers that it's not about committing oh we have to have 50 50 male versus female this is not a recipe for success it's being open-minded realizing that you do have biases you and me and everyone else has biases and trying to figure out okay if we think outside of the box where can we find the right people so again from a diversity equity and inclusion perspective this is definitely a hot topic another thing that i have seen a lot is um, particularly in regards to hiring people and retaining and motivating them is well-being mental health understanding your boundaries preventing burnout uh, preventing depression uh, and coping with stress uh, and I'm incredibly happy, again, as a psychologist, I'm incredibly happy that this has become one of the teams in 2020, just because I don't think there is enough narrative and there is enough education around these teams. And to be honest, I know you, meant, you, you asked me as well from a candidate perspective, and I think this is equally valid. Candidates want to feel that they belong, which is a diversity challenge. Candidates also want to feel happy and to feel that they are in an environment where they're pushed to become better, where they can learn new things and ultimately achieve some level of happiness or satisfaction, which relates directly to well-being. So these two, two teams, I wouldn't even call them challenges because, yeah, challenges is probably a negative word, but do, these two complicated teams, complex uh, subjects, are equally important both for candidates and for companies. 
So if we look at diversity, you, you talk about it's not diversity of race and sex and, and, and thing, but it's also diversity in, um, um, in thinking. Mindset, exactly. And mindset, exactly. And, and bring that uh, to the table. Can you give me an example out of your recent career? You said, hey, um, I, need to, I needed to really engage on a different level with candidates that I was trying to recruit for my customer or at the organization where you were working, so where diversity of thinking actually uh, really started to surface as, an, as a quality uh, or as a driver for the team we were building. Can you give an example of that? Of course, absolutely. And, and uh, I'm working a lot with startups at the moment. The last two years, uh, coming obviously from, from large corporations, now I pivoted into working with startups. And um, most recently, I worked with one that I was basically, uh, if you can count me as an employee, I was employee number two. And what I was doing with the CEO, with the founder, we were really discussing each and every profile that we wanted to hire. And at some point we needed to hire three completely different professionals. And ultimately two of them were very technical. The other one is more sales oriented, but there was a common team that he identified very quickly, even without my support. Obviously, I navigated him through how to write the job description, how to interview the people. But ultimately, he knew, he absolutely knew that these first 10 people are so incredibly critical for his business. It shouldn't be the best of the best on paper or the best programmer or the best salesperson. It wasn't about the hard skills he actually realized that it's all about the behavior, the attitude that these people have. So he spent a lot more time interviewing people from the beginning. So usually CEOs and founders, they are not the first round of interviews, right? They are usually at the end of the funnel because they're the decision makers. He actually did the opposite. He was at the beginning of the funnel and he spent countless hours interviewing people from all over the globe because this is a remote first startup now he's based in ireland like me but he opened up so broad that he was interviewing people today from uh, australia indonesia vietnam and middle east and then tomorrow he was interviewing people from south america um, south um, africa and uh, western europe so he was so involved in this to try to understand how do people feel when they hear startup at initial stages um, what do people feel how do they feel what do they describe are their issues their fears so he brought the conversation on a whole different level very human oriented very positive and ultimately he made the decisions to hire these people not on the hard skills he actually hired more junior people who have amazing attitude they are more junior than traditionally you hire in startups a lot of the times people say to me oh i want someone who is ready-made material and tomorrow they'll start work so a lot of companies do want to go for the secure bet but this particular founder he was all about if we get the wrong person in things might happen at such scale and so quickly that we create one toxic environment now, this is an example of very self-aware manager. <laughs> I hope, I really do hope that together we bring this level of self-awareness to a lot more managers. But I hope that makes sense in terms of thinking patterns and attitude versus female versus male, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you believe that these startup entrepreneurs or these startup organizations 
they recruit or they need to recruit in a different way than maybe the scale-ups and and the, and even the larger ones, uh, the small medium enterprises. Do you see a difference there with those type of uh, entrepreneurs or business managers? Yes, I do, and you're totally right. Um, it's it's unfortunate it's not possible to replicate this process in a scale-up or in a large structure why because the process itself is not efficient so i completely agree that the process needs to be much more streamlined much more um, direct probably less stages no, not probably for sure less stages so the process would differ the mindset shouldn't every single manager regardless of the size of the company regardless of the size of the team should think that each and every team member contributes to the culture of the team, first and foremost, the culture of the team and the culture overall. So every manager should embark on this journey of realizing, okay, there are skills for success, no doubt. You need to match certain criteria so that you're good in what you're doing. However, the rest of the journey is mindset. And if you're, if you're afraid that your, your employees are going to leave you, it's not only about the hard skills, it's about their mindset. And if they're not honest to you, which is a soft skill, and they're not loyal, then sooner or later they will leave. So I would say um, I would love if every manager, regardless of the size of the organization and the location, etc., every manager exerts this, a similar mindset like this particular founder. But the process, of course, the process should be optimized so that it reflects on the size of the company and it should be scalable. Unfortunately, we can't compare, as you said, a startup with 10 people versus a company with 15,000 employees. But I've seen the mindset, thank God, um, companies like Salesforce, for example, the mindset definitely has shifted to see more the person for what they have done, what they have achieved, what kind of mindset they bring to the table versus ticking box exercise. Yeah. But there's also a danger in that. Let's say, in, in let's say, if uh, the scale of operations are increasing, um, the processes become more uh, more important. Uh, or let's say, are given more importance. The processes, uh, tools are being brought in. Uh, we're now living in in an age where digital technology, artificial intelligence, is helping organizations to deal with that vast amount of uh, of data or candidates often uh, i've heard stories about that five six hundred people apply within three days for the same job um, that ask, that forces me to ask the question how can 500 people all at once decide that this is the right job for them um, so that's what was one conversation but the, the other way around is how can a company deal in an humane in an, in an transparent but also in an in an honest way to themselves and to the candidates in a way dealing with um, that reality. Uh, what type of challenges do you see nowadays in, in, in the world of recruitment with organizations growing, having this desire for so many new candidates, but also fighting for the right candidate because we're all tapping into the same pool. Mm -hmm. The only thing is they are applying at five jobs at the same time. So, what are the challenges that you see the companies face these days in identifying the right talent? 
And you're totally right. Uh, unfortunately, and I, I was looking actually at the statistics yesterday um, as I'm, I'm working on another presentation in terms of the global unemployment rates um, in the US, in Europe as well. And 2020 has brought, unfortunately, a lot of disturbance in regards to that. So the end result was high volume, high volume for every single industry. It wasn't only tech. It, now it's everything. Retail has seen such an incredible surge of, of applications. It's incredibly challenging. And I understand that now of course some companies haven't been prepared for what hit them hard um, but ultimately the tools and the practices are there we're not reinventing the hot water it is there but you need to figure out what is the right tool for you for your business and what is of course the budget that you can provide for a specific um, um, specific tool pre-assessment tools they have existed for 50 years and in all honesty I don't think they have changed dramatically. There isn't a huge amount of innovation there. It's, it's either personality tests, it's either questionnaire that you need to fill so that you reduce a bit the volume, whoever is yes or no, you can easily figure that out. There are also AI algorithms that basically based on keywords could match people and would say, let's say Rodina is 55% match for this role based on her CV. So these are tools that exist. They're pretty common. In all honesty, I don't think they really make the cut for me in terms of added value. They can help, of course, but one thing that I feel is you still need to preserve the human element. And if you have one recruiter who is going through 500 applications, that is insane. That's definitely not utilizing your time. Um, on one side, having, having questionnaires and having like a thorough application process that includes examples of the work of the person so that they can actually justify what they have been doing. Why do they have these specific skills? Um, I think this is, this is user friendly and it's not just yes or no type of scenario because people tend to lie, right? Um, on another side, I've been working with tools that are, for example, peer-to-peer -peer interview platform which means candidates interview candidates. And this is not something I've seen before. I think it's pretty innovative. Why? First of all, because you basically outsource the decision, not to your team of two recruiters and one hiring manager, but you outsource to the crowd. And the mass will decide who are the right people. And ultimately, when you put things like that, there is a level of democracy in choice. Everyone gets to be interviewed, so you can't interview 500 people from capacity perspective. But if you spin them through this candidate-to-candidate uh, -candidate interview platform, not only that they interview each other, so they get a practice, they get feedback, so they were told they are told whether they are, they are um, good at certain skill, whether they're not, and this is purely based on other peers' uh, feedback. And ultimately, you still get an information of who is ranked highly based on the peers review so these kind of tools for me are very human of course there is ai in the back burner because ultimately you need to make a decision based on that however what you see is short uh, to the point interaction with other people like yourself yes your competitors but ultimately you are here to learn from one another that does not happen in general so I would love to see a bit more innovation in this space. I think this is very challenging for a lot of companies, but as I said, the tools exist. Nice, nice example also to see how, let's say you bring in um, the, the human crowd in, into that process, but you give that example in the context where 
the peer uh, candidates are interviewing each other and therefore they can demonstrate their tools or their skill sets and their capabilities by doing that. How do you bring in the, the match with the culture so you can bring skills to the table, hard and soft skills this way, as you uh, explain it, but that doesn't say anything whether there's a match with the culture of the organization. See, that's a million dollar question. If anyone comes and they say or they claim that they have figured this one out to find the culture fit before the actual interviews or to be 100% sure that this person is a culture fit, I would shake their hands. I haven't seen that happening in any shape or form. People would, would probably say that they've made a great decision and I've worked at a company, particularly one company that is incredibly culture driven, like Airbnb. So they've created a completely different process in regards to understanding whether someone would be the right match for the organization, the so-called culture fit interviews. I try to avoid this word in my practice culture fit because I think it's it's damaged already similar to coaching. Uh, these are two words that I'm trying to avoid because I think there is a bit of negative connotation to both. But I'm trying to teach on one side, the managers, to understand what culture really means, what that really means and how you can measure that. Um, because the easiest way of, of putting things in perspective is who likes to work with toxic people? No one does, right? Who likes to work with top performers? Probably everyone or probably most people who like to work with people that they like, probably everyone. So we need to figure out where is the balance between these statements, because ultimately you're not there to make friends, right? So this is not the, the essence of work environment. Um, that might be a result of a positive work environment, but ultimately the idea is people work towards a common goal. That's the purpose. Um, and from one side, what I do is I teach and I educate managers on understanding what the culture is, how they can nurture it, how to look for positive examples around it. But ultimately, I encourage them on interviews and on during the recruitment process to look for culture add. Who can add more to their culture? Who can add more in terms of, as you said, skill set or behaviors or mindset or additional skills that we haven't thought about or diverse perspective on certain elements? Um, I used to work in a company where they, they said, oh, for the UK and Irish market, we hire only native English speakers. And I said, well, that's great, right? It's beautiful. But on the flip side, we all speak kind of good language in terms of English, right? So why is that so critical for you? Well, they understand the culture. Mm. And if, if someone has lived there for 15 years, they're 22, so most of their life they've lived in the UK, they don't understand the culture, is it? Yeah, but you know, accents. See, and then we go into that rabbit hole, and I'm yeah. trying to explain this is, this is not how things should work in 2020. So, uh, yeah, I think you opened the Pandora box in terms of the culture. You also touched upon um, a goal, eh? the goal of an organization, let's say, or the goal of work is to uh, to deliver uh, an outcome uh, together to work uh, on that. Um, you see more and more, and definitely the younger generations these days, uh, and therefore not excluding the older generations among us and among our listeners, but let's say the today's career starters, that they have a different type of mindset when they start their career. Uh, I remember myself, 
ages ago when I was um, uh, entering the, the work stage is that I wanted to make a contribution and, exp and, and learn a lot. Uh, and definitely learning a lot from an organization and have a paid job. That was for me uh, roughly uh, 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, my drive, let's say my career. It was not really a driver, but it was the reality of uh, job search at that moment. I, I'm engaging now with people that say, well, I know what I want. I know where I want to make a contribution to. Um, and for me, the pay is not so important in the beginning of my career. I want to actively learn and things like that. How are you in your career practice, or let's say your uh, recruitment practice or coach, coaching, the dirty word, as you said it, <laughs> how are you dealing with clients that are struggling with how to engage with these early career professionals? And you know what? I What I've observed the last good few years, actually, even before my individual practice, is that there is a, a similarity between what the younger generation experience, so the, the 21, 2, 3-year-old that are starting their first jobs, and people who are, let's say, 55 plus. Um, the ageism is real, and it works both ways, unfortunately. If you're too junior for a role or if you're overqualified, this is alive and well, unfortunately. And it seems like both both sides, um, both the younger generation and, and the more mature generation, let's put it like that, they both experience high level of insecurity. Despite the second ones coming, as you said, with tons of valuable experience and, and um, know-how. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm a teacher and I'm a lecturer. And a lot of the times, uh, the groups that I have, and they're from various different places in the world, a lot of the younger ones are very confident. They come across as, as you said, I, yeah, I do know what I'm good at and I don't want to make compromises versus the, the older generation that is like, I am lost. I have no idea what I need to do to reskill, upskill myself. And this is again, another team in 2020. But to go back to your original question, when I consult um, companies in particular in regards to looking at, at the younger generation, I do tend to not to make them more cautious, but to be more aware around the perception of work. And I don't want to scare them, but you're totally right. The younger generation really don't care about money. So throwing more money at them in order to preserve them, to keep them in your ranks is not going to work. It's just not going to work because these people, and I, I absolutely kudos to them because I'm millennial and we are already in that age that we are not taking a lot of chances, 30 plus, you know, we're old now. But uh, kudos to, to the 22, 3, 5 year old who say, I don't care, I've been here only six months. If I'm unhappy, I will leave. And then they don't care about anything else. This is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's no compromise over my happiness. It's all about the impact. It's all about the contribution, um, the, the well-being, the belonging element. And I'm trying to educate companies. If you don't adjust to this generation, you're going to suffer. Maybe you're not going to suffer now because they're way too young, right? So they're, they're a bit too young. But in two, three, five years time, they're not going to adjust to you. So... Uh, this element of flexibility, of, of being able to adjust, um, I keep promoting that because I can see that it would have very long-term impact if companies don't re-adapt um, re their whole interview process, their job descriptions, the way they do interviews, how they do interviews, how they train for interviews. If this doesn't change, someone else will steal that one from you. 
and there's nothing you can do. Let's touch upon that design change. Let's say if they don't, you say so explicitly, if they don't change this, if they don't change that. But if you now could change something that will last for the next five years to really create impact. So if you could really change something now instantly in today's recruitment practices of these organizations, what would be the first thing that you would like to see changed? Open-mindedness, for sure. That's one thing that I want to see first and foremost, because I think we're so sucked into the routine. We're so used to doing things our way because it, it has worked or because we are afraid to change our because why bother? <laughs> Honestly, like I, I, I've seen companies that, that say, why, why should I bother? I mean, I, I still have a big brand. People always want to work for me. And then we see in the newsletters that this is one of the most horrible cultures to work, um, work for. Um, so open mind for me, um, maybe some people would say growth mindset. Other people would say curiosity. Third people would say flexibility. For me, it's all about open mind. If you have an open mind to try all new things, um, fail, learn from that, ask for, for support, say that you need help. All of these bits and pieces are around open-mindedness. If I have a magic wand right away, Ron, I will definitely change that immediately. And what would you advise those early career seekers to start doing differently or maybe to keep doing differently? Uh, what would that be that what would you advise them to let's say embark on that early career journey in a successful way I, as i said i absolutely admire them i was a mentor of an 18 year old boy in bulgaria who was coming from um, a different background from a minority background and he taught me more than i've ever taught him and uh, i would absolutely love if you keep doing what you're doing if if you stay true to who you are to your values um to to um your desires to change the way the world spins but if there is one thing that i would also ask from you is to be more tolerant towards people who are different to you i know that you're super digitally savvy i know that your attention span is literally five seconds but not everyone is like you so uh if, if i am asking companies and managers to be open-minded i would totally ask the younger generation generation Z, please be tolerant towards people that are not the same like you because you can learn them you can teach them a lot and just keep teaching us because you're you're awesome generation yeah cool let's uh, zoom back on you again so uh, we talked a lot about uh, uh, the industry at the moment and how can they uh, change and what their uh, required uh, ambitions are but if we go back to radina and say what are your dreams for the near future so you're now already eight years in ireland maybe another eight years maybe you'll never leave anymore but what are your dreams for the the near future I, I know, and, and usually when, when we discuss the question, how do you see yourself in five years? I, I usually say to people, don't ask this question, because guess what? No one in 2015 nailed that one. No one thought that in five years we'll be in 2020, that crazy year. Uh, but to answer your question, I love the idea of, of being a working mom. 
And why I love that is because, first of all, I think women, we are created to be very multifunctional and multitasking, and we can do a lot of interesting things at the same time. Um, I am, the way I'm educated, I'm, I'm, I've been raised, uh, and the way I am, uh, for me, family and home is the most important thing. This is why I wanted to work from home. I, I didn't set up my practice to work from a coffee shop or anything. I wanted to work from home, and home is both Bulgaria and Ireland because I'm an expat. So. Uh, in the future, I see myself as uh, one uh, working mom, uh, juggling with um, hopefully a couple of dogs, a couple of kids, a couple of uh, hens, cows, whatever kind of farm I might have in eight years, and uh, still being able to contribute with the same enthusiasm and energy as, as today. Nice, nice. And uh, maybe for the ones that don't know you, and I think... Nobody in that's listening to this podcast is familiar with uh, Dorana outside her work practice. So, but what do you like doing outside work? What gives you energy? What inspires you uh, if you're not focusing on uh, your professional side? Oh, okay. Where, where should I start? Um, I've rediscovered my passion for um, growing my own vegetables. Now, I know it sounds weird, but uh, I like the idea of being self-dependent. And I grew a lot of tomatoes this year, so I'm going to continue that in, in the next years. I learned how to uh, bake sourdough bread, so I'm really proud of that one, uh, because obviously bread is the essence of the meal, right? Um, I am a huge fan of puzzles and any kind of board game, so this really releases my anxiety and it helps me cope and and um, energizes me a lot uh, and I love listening to podcasts or um, audiobooks uh, I'm a huge fan of audible um, and these are usually the activities that I juggle with in order to preserve my sanity okay is there a favorite podcast that you can recommend our audience um, I do have I don't know if it's going to be uh, you know liked by everyone I have two so if you don't mind I'll, I'll share two um, it's um, with Adam Grant and it's called work, was it workplace or work reinvented, something like that. But definitely go and check Adam Grant. He's absolutely amazing. He's, he's an organizational psychologist like me. And he has this podcast um, that is called work something. Sorry, I'm bad with names. And the other one is from Reed Hoffman, who is the co-founder of LinkedIn, and it's called Masters of Scale. Um, it's much more business oriented versus the other one that is more focused on teams of today and uh, more soft skills. Uh, the one with Reed Hoffman is more around businesses and scaling businesses. So both of them are super invigorating and, and fun. So I, this, this would be my two ones that I would recommend. Okay, cool. Hey, 2020 is almost uh, ending. 2021 is, uh, let's say, uh, hopefully a new start for many people uh, in the world. And hopefully this, uh, this whole COVID reality is uh, fading out or getting a new reality that we can all uh, deal with. But something that we want to ask all our um, uh, guests on this, uh, on this uh, show, on this podcast is, um, what are you looking forward really to doing in the next six months? I am a big fan of working internationally. And I know it sounds funny, but 
I do love understanding new cultures and uh, there are two new projects. Uh, one is literally kicking off this week and it's focused on supporting students for now UK and Ireland, but hopefully next year we're going to expand. Um, so this will be a, a good project for me because I want to give back and I do want to support um, students, particularly expat students here in Ireland who are facing a challenge that I faced eight years ago, not knowing many people, not knowing the job market. So this is one project that I'm really excited about. It's very affordable and it's it's a great Christmas gift, to be honest. Um, the other project is more related to Africa and it's, it's in a similar setup um, supporting um, job seekers. Um, this, this is all I can share for now, but it is something that brings the the social responsibility in me and uh, although working with corporates is always rewarding of course uh, from both financial and impact perspective these two projects for me are waking up something that is always has always been important for me and now i finally have the chance to do it and giving back Okay, to, to round this off, I really would like to uh, thank you, of course, for your perspectives on, on uh, let's say, where the world of recruitment uh, is going, but also the challenges that we are facing uh, today. So uh, thank you for those uh, insights. Uh, if people want to learn more about your background or your activities, where can they find you in the social media or elsewhere? What's, uh, what's the safe place to get to know more about Radina at the moment? Absolutely. And, and as you can imagine, uh, LinkedIn is probably the, the best place. Uh, I'm very active there. I do like to share what, what I'm involved in from a project perspective. I share a lot of content articles. Um, if, if you're looking for more, my business face, uh, Vox Advisory is my brand. So you can check uh, my website, but usually I'm more than happy to connect on LinkedIn. My name is way too unique, so there is no chance you can make a mistake. It's definitely going to be me. Um, so yes, feel free to connect, give me context. I'll be happy to uh, introduce you to my world. Okay. Well, again, thank you for your time and your, your presence uh, with us. And um, so uh, let's see where 2021 is bringing you and uh, how you're going to create uh, and continue to create impact in that world. So thank you for being with us. And uh, we look forward to a next moment with you again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Appreciate it. And good luck to everyone listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode in our Unlocked podcast series. We at the Talent Sprint want to make a difference in recruiting future and today's professionals. Better understanding the difference, putting people on the stage is what we enjoy doing and will continue to do. During our Talent Sprints, where career professionals and hiring organizations co-create impact, an event where talent is offered the stage to collaborate with peers, a stage where feedback is always given, a stage where new hire potential is scouted, where employer potential is explored. But also during our Gen Z webinars, where we explore this upcoming working generation. A stage where we listen to them to understand their needs and desires. A stage where HR professionals share their perspectives. A stage where all participants have something to contribute. If you want to know more about the Talent Sprint, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter or visit our website on www.talent-sprint.com. This is also where we announce new upcoming events, including TalentSprint workshops or breakfast meetings. Again, thank you for listening to Unlocked, the HR podcast that dares to put people first. 
Unlocked is a production by the Talent Sprint, Sabrina Gurig, Jeroen Frumeau and Emmanuel Nesvold.